Opinion. This is episode 54. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're going to be discussing uh, Next Gen's first season episodes, Hide and Q, Haven, and The Big Goodbye. Here we go. Hide and Q, Season 1, Episode 9, Production Number 111. Original air date, November 23rd, 1987. Directed by Cliff Bowl. Story by C.J. Holland. Teleplay by C.J. Holland and Gene Roddenberry. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include John Delancey as Q, Elaine Nali as Female Survivor, and William Wallace as Wesley Crusher at age 25. While rushing aid... To survivors on a planet rocked by, lethal ex- by a lethal explosion, the Enterprise is stopped by the entity Q. Q demands that the Enterprise and crew abandon their rescue mission and partake in a deadly game, which, according to Q, could result in either their greatest possible future or death. You are unusual creatures in your own limited ways, ways which in time will not be so limited. We're growing. Something about us compels us to learn, explore. Yes, the human compulsion. And unfortunately for us, it is a power which will grow stronger century after century. Here's an interesting episode that I remember, I remember it uh, very well. Um, I think that it has, it suffers from, you know, traditional, like, not just first season problems, but, you know, very early modern Trek, if that makes sense, problems. Mm-hmm. No, it's mm-hmm. it's clunky. It's got its problems. Um, I would even I don't think I could call it a good episode personally, but you really get the sense that it's that it is shooting for something. Um, it's one of those. It's one of those where it is trying to be about something, and uh, I, I, I'm kind of jumping right to what it's about. But uh, you know, it, it 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 makes the whole episode worth watching to me. Even though, even though it's definitely clunky, um, there's a lot of a lot of good memorable stuff in here. Um, that's kind of my quick overview. Well, what, what are you guys' thoughts here? Well, I would I would concur with that and um, with what you said, and I also just generally enjoy Q episodes, especially in mm-hmm. Next Gen. So that helps helps it out to uh, John Delancey's Q. I mean, that's always it's always fun, and and obviously that character is still kind of coming into its own. He's a little more serious in these early episodes than we see later on, uh, where he excels with the banter with uh, Picard and so forth. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's fun for a, for a first season episode. How how odd is it that they bring Q back so quickly? I mean, compared to the original series, which right at this point in Star Trek, that's our only frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that was dang near unprecedented. The only character I recall they brought back was um, Mud, I believe, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, and that was weird, and it and it it wasn't so soon. Yeah, well, yeah, clearly. Uh, he made an impression um, because, yeah, it, it is very unusual. And, and of course, many of the people running the show are the same bunch that worked on the original series. So you, you'd think mm-hmm. their proclivities to bring back or not bring back people would be similar. So he obviously had an impact early on. <clears throat> yeah, I, no, I kind of agree with you, Brian. You know, we've uh, this has kind of been a theme throughout these um these first few several episodes. You know, it kind of suffers from. Um, from you know being kind of too much like the original show but um you know it's it's a nice thing to see Q come back quickly i guess cuz it kind of separates it a little bit more from um, the original show and we're going to see more separation going forward but yeah it's clunky it's it's Q and i'm looking back and i was thinking you know you don't we didn't if you're a first time watcher you don't really necessarily know that Q's going to be coming back and forth as much as he mm-hmm. is i mean he makes the reference in farpoint that they would be watching so you would kind of assume but yeah it is kind of quick but um like steven said maybe um, he was fun to work with it was it's probably fun to write the character Q it's probably fun to portray Q as i know John DeLance loves to do it and so probably that's probably why I came back so soon. Yeah, Delancey is is excellent. Even even just when he doesn't have a line, you know, a look or something. He's I mean, he's very, very, very good. Um, I still kind of crack. I don't know if it's really intended to be funny, but when when he turns into Data, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. Is this supposed to be funny? I can't tell. <laughs> 
No, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's a little creepy. It, it didn't quite. It didn't it quite kind of, him yeah. as well. Yeah, that that's why. Yeah. Bit, yeah, it is creepy. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, you talk about um, uh, Hugh's banter with Picard. Of course, one of the it, it's an, another thing that makes the episode clunky is that it, you kind of feel like, well, whose episode is it? Um, is it Riker's? Is it Picard? The Riker's the obvious answer, but I mean, the best for me, probably the best scene in the show is is the one in uh, Park, uh, Picard's uh, ready room there, where um, you kind of they, they exchange some Shakespearean lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's a very very strong scene, and mostly because of the performances. But uh, that's an example of that kind of banter that you were talking about, Steve. Mm-hmm. Well, they. You know, there's so much uh, experimentation early on in the show, you know, and, mm. and fortunately for us, they caught on to the fact that, uh, you know, Q and Picard work so well together. And that became, of course, the focus of Q's visits later on. Oh, I see. So, yeah. So if this had been a later Q episode, it wouldn't have been Riker that got to play the game, huh? Yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I think they're just kind of playing off. Um, you know, th- there was a mention in, in Farpoint, you know, with some interest in Riker, some, some you know, very quick thing that they said. Mm-hmm. And I think they're just playing off that, you know, and then rolled with that. But whatever. Well, but, uh, some of the- oh, go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I was going to say, but clearly, you know, the the banter between um, Picard and, and Q is, it continue, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. Picard, he's an, you could describe him as the intellect of all the captains, you know, he's a deep thinker um very knowledgeable and debate you know and, and debate and that kind of thing and it works very well with q you know who's an omnipotent being so there is that that clash between the two of them that um that gets really good you know you know we've we've all seen them and and we'll talk about them when we then they come about but it's really enjoyable and um probably this is probably the first really good banter we see you know and, and obviously we'll address this more with further q episodes that focus on that banter and going back and forth but it's very easy to take for granted how uh, how do you really write for this situation where a being who can do anything he wants i mean he, he mm-hmm. kind of is a villain and kind of isn't and he could just blow them all away at any point in time i mean in that way you know, there is no. It's it's not. It's a very untraditional kind of conflict. You know, right. so the fact things, that most of the time we buy it, okay, at least later on in the series, I think is to their credit. Two things saying that makes me think of one. That's why I think why they had such a hard time figuring figuring out how to get him onto Voyager. Because how yeah. do you not just have him snap his fingers in Voyager's home? Yeah. Um, but um, shoot, I was going to say something else, and I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Save me. Well, I think about what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so what were some of the, uh, in your guys' opinion, some of the uh, kookier, not-so-great stuff in this? I mean, I had a lot of kind of the, the silliness, you know, the silliness stuff came through in this one a few times. For me, uh, there was some uh, Tasha, Tasha Yar stuff, uh, her carrying on and getting crazy and stuff, like on the bridge when she's putting the penalty box and, <laughs> you know, you know, bawling and stuff and Picard talking to her. I don't know, that, that kind of, I found that tedious. <clears throat> Yeah, it was a little uncharacteristic for her up to this point, you know, to be kind of that vulnerable. But, you know, we find out more about her later on, about how her child, you know, we yeah. obviously learn about her background and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I think it was a little out of character. I didn't particularly care for it either. Real, I have a comment on that real quick. The, the thing I forgot that I was trying to remember was uh-huh. um, uh, the other thing about how do you bring uh, Q on this show with him being so omnipotent? I think by the end of this episode, that little bit they do where they have Q, you know, clearly getting in trouble with the, yes. with the rest of the continuum puts him in a little bit of that, like he does have some level of control. Like maybe he can't just do, even though he can, can't, is, is capable of doing anything. Maybe he can't, maybe there, right. there are some kind of rules. So I think that was a nice little bit that forever establishes him as his character as having some rules and of course we get to play off that in future q episodes like when he loses his powers and things like that yeah um as far as the tasha stuff yeah that scene with her and picard i'm in the penalty box and some violins playing it's all mushy is <laughs> and she's does she say something like if you weren't the captain i mean is, are oh, they, yeah. she comes on to him odd, yeah. is that what that is i guess that's crazy. i guess yeah yeah, that, that, that's like an original series thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Remind, yeah, it reminded me of, of the uh, between like Kirk and uh, Yeoman Rand or something in yeah. the original series. That kind of vibe. Yeah. Is it, it more? Is it, it, is it more awkward now in hindsight, or do you think it was awkward at the time when we first well, saw it? Well, it was. It's recall. awkward because that's just not the kind of character Picard is. 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Hindsight, you know, we all know. Yeah, but at the time, got... could be. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it, like it, we, we, we talked about, they kind of try to have these hints of the original series in here. We see it a lot in the episodes, and maybe it's them trying that, you know, kind of try to make Picard a little bit more suave than he, than he was. Well, there's a reason, you know, a lot of the shows like this, they, they take a while to come into their own because they're, they're finding these things. But mm-hmm. it, it is funny. It just seemed so obvious that that was a, maybe a bad choice. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, you're talking about the, the different character things that, are, that maybe make it clunky. For me, the biggest, the clunkiest part by far is how quickly Riker goes nutty once he gets his powers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it is like, kind of strange. Like, one scene, he's normal, and of course, I'm not going to let anything crazy happen. And the very next scene, he's just nutty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like. And I, so I think silly, I'll press yeah. the time. It's the kind of thing where, like I said, for most, most of this episode, I think, I think there are some great ideas in here, and there was a cool story there. It, the, the writing wasn't quite realized. It, it jumps around. It's clunky, and that's an example of clunky. That's the kind of thing, I'm, I'm sorry, but they really, that should have taken half the episode at least that 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 kind of transformation of a character of such a fundamental thing and it's not like he's really going crazy this you know which would be a better explanation <laughs> because right. he comes out of it so easily when he's like oh card how did you know when he's trying to give the gifts you know yeah. so that, that's think, the hardest for me to swallow <laughs> i think a better version of this episode we'll see later on when um what is it the, i don't know the name of the episode maybe steve you can help me out with it where the girl is actually a q and you know q helps her discover her powers Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, one of the, one of the Q. It has Q in the title, but with Olivia Dabo playing the young yeah, girl that's got the Q powers. Yeah. So they, it, it, it looks like they probably learned from their mistakes from this episode and corrected it in that one because that's an excellent episode. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of has some familiar, you know, like what would a human do if they just automatically became a Q, you know? Right. So uh, we can look forward to that episode and, and not yeah. recall this one. In this one you know, we talk about maybe it's helping to find the characters by the mistakes they make mm-hmm. in this episode. But there are some things that it's clear they have an, a very good concept of who these characters are. I like whenever whenever Riker goes about giving everybody their wishes. You know, Data wants to be human. Jordy wants to see. Worf wants a concubine. <laughs> it, 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 defi- it shows us they already know, you know, these basic things about all these characters very well. Um, and the characters know themselves. Like, I, I like that, you know, it's and things like that. So, and Will Wheaton became a very big and tall, handsome man. What happened to yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. Right. He didn't. He doesn't look anything like that. Now. <laughs> no, and he's old. Yeah, it kind of looks the same with a beard. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was kind of like you talking about kind of hit. Uh, you know, the relationships and the odd things. I got. You know, I don't know. Jordy seemed pretty impressed. I thought Jordy was hitting on him. I thought that's what. You know, I was thinking Jordy wanted him to stay twenty-five. He has Hey Wes, not bad. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was a very gay line. It was, uh, <laughs> you know. Hey, more power to him. But I think yeah. you see later episodes that implies that he's straight. So, right, yes. right. It's just confused inconsistencies. You know. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were just going to play with that and see if it worked out. It didn't quite. <laughs> it's another <laughs> so to speak character experiment there. <laughs> 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 Well, no, I'm not going to go there. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and of course, this episode we have to mention has one of the funnier lines in all of Star Trek. He's nothing but a flimflam man. Yeah, I know. I always remember that one. That's funny. <laughs> I still say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. Um so some of the ideas this episode t- tries to tackle, um, you know, there's a, there's a few questions. Uh, the more obvious ones are the ones they flat out say, like we have, you know, how we play the game defines us. I think that's something that Q is going to repeat a lot, that kind of concept. Um, heck, I even think, you know, the very last episode we talk about, uh, I mean, the final episode of, you know, like all, all good things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that question about it's it's if you think of the game as just life in general you know it's 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 the journey uh it, it gives me i think thoughts about these and, and these are these are practical things that i think they were certainly going for um even more obvious of course was just be um uh the absolute power corrupts absolutely again i i don't think they really do a very good job with asking these questions because um 
because it is clunky for those reasons we've we've talked about. Um, but I I really appreciate that it almost seems like they started with what's it going to be about and wrote a story about. I mean, it was very important to this episode, and the reasons this episode fails aren't because they're asking poor questions. You know, um, it it just has to do with growing pains and an early show and early characters. And you know, I think that's the reason that this episode isn't as good. I still enjoy watching this one, like you guys said. If nothing else, just because I like Hugh and and he's so Delancey is so great. Um, but these are some of the questions that they ask that I think the episode is trying to be about, and I think that maybe it fails because, you know, it doesn't live up to those questions because it's just, the, the episode's clunky because it's a early show. What do you guys think what it's about? I, I can I concur with what you said. I mean, I, I thought first and foremost the whole absolute power corrupts absolutely, is, but it's so on the nose um, yeah. that, that it's just kind of, it's not really what it's about. It's kind of like, just like, almost like a thesis statement, you know, here it is and there's a story. I mean, so... But yeah, I agree with you. They they definitely attempted to make what that was what the episode's about. Having have him getting corrupted in one scene, like I said, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it, it takes the power out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's more like, well, we have to have him get corrupted because absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we have time to do it in one scene. It just doesn't work. Adam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely agree. I'd reiterate. You know, like I said, it's it's an early episode, so it. You see all the the characteristics of what we come to love from the Q character and the Q storyline in this episode, and it's being set up. And um, I agree with the Q. Every time you see Q, it's always a game about how to learn how a game, so the characters in the show can learn and grow. Um, and this is the first one, but I agree, it's clunky. It's 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 not a bad first start after Farpoint, but yeah, it's it's, it's clunky. But we enjoy Q. Yes, we do. Even though he's nothing but a flim flam man. <laughs> this is kind of like um, the early sketches of a masterpiece. I'll think of it that way. <laughs> All right, guys. Anything else on this one? <clears throat> nope. Nope. Moving on. Six degrees for hide and Q. Uh, Adam, you want to go first or second? I'll go first. John Delancey returns as the flim flam ish Q in 1996. Uh, Delancey co-founded Alien Voices, a group that produced several audio productions using many Trek performers. What Trek legend co-founded Alien Voices with John Delancey? Dun, 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 dun. Would it be Leonard Nimoy? You are correct. It was Leonard Nimoy. Uh, Steve, yes. between Next Gen, DS9, and Voyager, in how many episodes did Delancey appear as Q? And I'll give you a multiple choice. 10, 12, or 14? Hmm. And we're counting uh, All Good Things as one episode. Okay. All right. How about 10? No, sir. It was 12. Okay. Moving on. Haven, Season 1, Episode 10, Production Number 105, Original Air Date, November 30th, 1987, Directed by Richard Compton, Story by Lan O'Kun, Teleplay by Tracy Torme and Lan O'Kun, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Majel Barrett as Loxana Troy, Robert Nepper as Wyatt Miller, Nan Martin as Victoria Miller, Robert Ellenstein as Stephen Miller, Carol Stroykin as Mr. Home, Anna Katarina as Valeda, Ray Burke as Wren, Denitza Kingsley as Ariana, and Michael Ryder as Transporter Chief. Honoring the traditional Betazoid customs, Deanna Troy prepares to marry Wyatt Miller, the son of her father's best friend. Troy's mother, Loxana Troy, also pays her first visit to the Enterprise to prepare her daughter for the arranged wedding. Preparations between the two families create humorous bickering and banter, not to mention confusion and mixed feelings for Troy's former love, Commander William Riker. What's going on? Jewels. Look at these jewels. They're bonding gifts. What you would call wedding presents. Who's getting married? I am. I am am really interested to hear you guys start this one. I have no idea what you guys think of this episode. I can't even guess. Well, it's historically significant because it's Loxana's first appearance. I mean, that's the... 
to me, yes. that's the, the big thing about it. Um, most of it I find uh, uh, kind of silly, um, but so much, <laughs> so many of the first season episodes do come off that way. Um, I like the ship. I like the ship, that alien ship, the way it looks. The that's alien ship, yeah, that's really, yeah, that's really cool looking ship, yeah. Uh-huh. It's very. Um, I noted how. Everyone has very '80s hairstyles. Went with, went with the '80s hair. I mean, well, it's it definitely them, of it its was time. A, they, are, they established that it was a very, very long flight. Yes, right. yes. So I understand. It could have started in the '80s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They had plenty <laughs> of hairspray with them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. That's that's my initial thoughts. <laughs> that's that's it. That's it. You're done. Yep. All right. Um, I thought some of the humorous things worked, and some of them didn't. Um, I enjoyed all Data's, you know, you know Data's curiosity with the yeah, bantering yeah. back and forth. That was that was amusing. Um, and I'm mixed about um, Picard having to carry the luggage. I'm like, it's funny. But at the same time, it's kind of ridiculous. So I'm kind of mixed with that first scene where he's having to carry Loxana's luggage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that, you know, with all comedy, there's things in this that hit and there's things that miss. I think it's kind of in between, you know, some things work, some things don't. Um, I kind of like the story about the Trillians. You know, I kind of like that backstory, you know, when they explain, you know, what happened to the civilization and that kind of thing. It's kind of like a... An omen. They do that in Star Trek from time to time. It's kind of an omen to our civilization to get it together. So, yeah, that's it's that's cool. I like that scene where they're talking mm. about the, their history and stuff. That's nice. Mm. Um, I you know one thing I like about it is I like the the teaser thing. You know, that's a nice way to set up an episode. Who's getting married? I am. You know, I mean that's yeah. nice, especially when we know there's that history between Riker and Troy. Yeah. Um, I like that they just flat out make it so plain in this episode that. Um, Riker chose his career over Troy. You know, yeah. no yeah. ifs, ands, or buts. That's exactly what happened. Um, I like that uh, that Wyatt has this. You know, that scene. I think they're on the holodeck uh, when Wyatt meets Riker. Um, he's oh, you're the one that wants to be a starship captain. Teach his own. Good luck with that ambition. You know, it sounds almost snarky, but he's not. He's he's totally serious and. You know, he's like, I, I res- he's saying, I respect that you wanted to uh, pursue your career um, more than personal things. That's not how I feel, but I respect that. Um, and I kind of respect that they went there with the narrative. Um, it's kind of an unusual thing to approach, or it's certainly it's unusual to make it so flat out clear that, because to clear that Riker chose this path. Because under normal circumstances, you hear that, and, and it's going to make you think, to me, it makes me think not the most positive things about a character. You know, generally, you know, that's like the, I don't know, like a business tycoon or something. You know, as somebody that's, that's just so focused on that, on career, um, that they can't love, that's generally a negative kind of thing. That's normal circumstances to me. Now, tell me, you passed up Marina Sirtis. <laughs> for that and then I just think there's something wrong with you so I respect that they that they did that you know I respect that so that, there's a couple of things that I like about it um, um, did you have a negative feeling towards Riker at the time because of that or I'm not I, you know what it did it, it made him seem cold to me and I'm not sure that that ever really changed until the movies um, like when he got finally got with her uh, mm-hmm. Like that, I remember that's gosh, what movie was it? Insurrection. Is that the scene where he? Did you just or did you come to play that scene? Remember? Yeah. You know, that's that's the, other than that. I don't know. It just it made him seem a bit cold. It made him to me. You know, his liaisons in this in this show, much like Kirk on the original series, are so are like one offs most of the time. Um, so he doesn't take it very seriously. What's interesting, um, you know, is too, is that over the arc of the series, it becomes quite clear that he really doesn't know what he wants because there's no, you know, you don't, you aren't just a first officer on there for the entire duration of the show. I mean, they do it for the show, but I mean, he gets opportunities that he passes up or finds some way to get out of, and it becomes clear. Well, is it Troy or is it just something else, or did he think that's his singular goal, and and he's, you know, deep down, it's not the case. And that's that's a storyline that they they analyze to a very interesting 
extent, uh, in an interesting way, I should say, uh, with Best of Both Worlds, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, for as interesting as I find that, unfortunately, that's a fairly small portion of this episode. And that's my thought with this episode, is that if it had had, if they'd, maybe it would have been a better episode or a more interesting episode if they'd more focused on Big Shock, our primary characters. If it was more about pulling those two apart, uh, Riker mm-hmm. and Troy. On the other hand, to do that would mean bringing them together in a way that I don't think this show wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I understand why it is what it is. You think in today's television they just done flashbacks? They weren't doing too many flashbacks back in the eighties during tele for televisions. <laughs> it's only it wasn't it was a, a clip show. <laughs> <laughs> they do flashbacks. People's got seventies hair. <laughs> no, that that's the episode where Riker and Troy get trapped on the turbo lift. <laughs> I remember that time when? Yeah, that's good. Um, um, so yeah it's funny I didn't write a lot down about this episode yeah first appearance of Loaxana this is an unusual episode in that it was it was produced so early but they held it back I don't know why yeah it's one of the first episodes one of the first few episodes produced but they waited until like a dozen episodes in to to air it I hope someone would lose it or something (laughs) 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 yeah Um, yeah, um, I'd forgotten that, you know, Lox, I remembered incorrectly. I thought Loaxana had an instant attraction for Ricard. Um, they don't really start, they kind of hint at that at the end of this episode, but we don't see any of that till later on. i completely forgotten that since it's been so long since I've watched it. I'm like, oh yeah, she didn't really come on to him in this episode, first one. I, I forgot that of all the times we see Mr. Holm, this is the only time he speaks since... <laughs> oh yeah. He has that line at the end of the episode, thanks. Thank you for the drinks. <laughs> it's funny what he sounds, but but he never talks again. That's the only time. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know most most of the humor works for me. Um, Mr. Holm conducting the ceremony with sign language, and you mentioned Data jokes his jokes about please continue the petty bickering. Yeah. Um, the humor the humor works for me. Um, it's just that in this, in the context of this episode, I mean, it's okay. It's not. It's not. It's not bad. Um, so I don't have a lot to say about this one. I, I think that the the actor that plays Wyatt does a, a good job. You know, I actually, I kind of believe, you know, their pseudo relationship. I mean, that that kind of works. Um, obviously, I still wholeheartedly disagree with him. He should have been pretty excited when he beamed onto that pad and saw. <laughs> mm-hmm. just you know, trash those drawings and you're done with it yeah. yeah she'd be like what are those what I don't know what these are these toilet paper yeah okay yeah. yeah you think he would you think he would have hid those away and not had them you know displayed for everybody to see when she came over <laughs> it hedges bits a little bit yeah because <laughs> by the point by the time he got to his room and chose to display all those he had already seen that she wasn't her right yeah <laughs> yeah odd yeah <laughs> He just he wanted to try to see it, I guess. <laughs> and we're really reading into it now. What's this episode about, guys? Um, I kind of like what you said earlier in the in the discussion, Brian, about um Troy. I know this is the best I can come up with Troy and um Riker. I mean, it is a this this an intertwined weave that we're going to see this story play in and out basically through all of the generations episodes and movies and so forth. And um, I didn't really even think about it that way until you brought it up, but it kind of makes a lot of sense that that probably has more to do with this episode moving forward than anything else in it. Unfortunately, it's, you know, it's realistically a, a small portion of the episode. Mm-hmm. Steve, I think it's about, I, I don't know, maybe a little bit of, um, you know, the, a little bit of the notion of, of fate and, you know, you, you, things end up turning out for the best a little, you know, that kind of idea, you know, I mean, there's, there's, he has preconceived notions as to what's going to happen with his life, this Wyatt character, and it turned out something different. And I think in turn, um, you know, it, it ended up not taking Troy away from the ship either. And so, I don't know, I think there's a little bit of that vibe of just things will work (laughs) themselves out, whatever. I like that. You know, we didn't even discuss, uh, so why it's, Wyatt's had these visions of this blonde woman his, his whole life. Um, he goes and talks to Loaxana, and she tells him, all oh, life is connected, or something to that effect, but it's 
apparently incredibly profound to Wyatt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I understand. Uh, when he beams over to that Trillian ship, he sees all these, you know, the, the equivalent drawings of himself that apparently, mm-hmm. I guess, this blonde woman has made. Um, that, I mean, that, that stuff works. That, that connection works. I, mm-hmm. I, again, I don't understand choosing um, the ship of death over Troy. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that works, and that, and that is kind of that is kind of nice. And and I think you're right. That's probably what it is more than anything else. It's it's this this idea of um, fate, fate, and uh, being open to change. Mm-hmm. Feathered hair and perms. Feathered hair and perms. And halter tops. God, it still feels it's still so weird uh to see this stuff look so good when it should look so dated. When I see stuff like that <laughs> look date that that's twenty five years old. That should look dated. That should look like it's from the eighties. But it's more like I don't know, it's like a drawing of something that's old. <laughs> yeah. You know, new drawing. It's weird. It's really weird. Uh, you know, I, I work, uh, our listeners probably don't remember, I work post-production at my post-production facility. We have a pretty awesome uh, screening room, like a you know a theater that uh, we recently completed. We spent a year building it. And uh, I watched Hide and Q on my lunch in there the other day. And my God, it looked in, it's it looks so incredible. Even, I mean, that, and it looked better than the Fathom event, something about their projector. But I mean, it's so huge and it looks so good. It's just it's it's nutty. I know we don't. Hey, uh, Caesar, did you watch it in HD this for this one? Um, discs are a bit unwatchable. The sound it sounds like they're in a um in a garage. You have to choose the stereo. I think. I'm just watching it off the TV. I don't have a sound system set up. Yeah, I know, but in the on the disc instead of defaulting to the 5.1 that's screwed up on those discs, you got to choose the stereo. Anyway, okay. I'll check it out. Uh, I'm, I'm just blown away about how it looks, and and I I don't want our listeners to think that I'm taking that for granted. Let me tell you. Okay, moving on. Six degrees for Haven. Uh, where are we at? Adam has one. Steve has none. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, you want to go first or second? First. Robert Nepper plays Wyatt, the young man that chooses to live on a plague ship and die rather than sleep with Deanna <laughs> Troy every night for the rest of his life. In Voyager's sixth season, he played Gaul in the episode Dragon's Teeth. In this episode, Voyager discovers the remains of a great city, apparently destroyed 900 years earlier and still undergoing a nuclear winter. Seven of Nine eventually finds the survivors, though Gaul attempts to take control of Voyager. In what state does Seven find the survivors? Wow, this only vaguely sounds familiar. Um, I don't know. They're starving. I don't know. Uh, No, Mr. Caesar? Um, she finds them in hibernation. You are correct. Hmm. They were they were in stasis for nine hundred years, and she wakes them up. Ah, Mr. Caesar. Uh, Robert Allenstein gets really mad at her. Chief, go ahead. Robert Allenstein plays Stephen Miller, Wyatt's father. In Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, he presided over the Council that charged Kirk with violations of Starfleet regulations. Though the council eventually forgave most of them after Kirk and crew saved Earth, in what position did Ellenstein's character serve? What position was he the um, president? You are correct. He was the uh, Federation president. He had a beard there, so it looks very, very different. Mm-hmm. Wow, you're cleaning up today, man. Three nothing. Well, it's got to happen every fifty-four show at least. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> The Big Goodbye, Season 1, Episode 11, Production Number 113. Original air date, January 11th, 1988. Directed by Joseph L. Scanlon. Written by Tracy Torme. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Lawrence Tierney as Cyrus Redblock. Harry Jason as Felix Leach. William Boyette as Dan Bell. David Selberg as Waylon. Gary Armagnac as McNary. Mike Genovese as de- Desk Sergeant. Dick Miller as Vendor. Carolyn Allport as Jessica Bradley. Rhonda Aldrich as Secretary and Eric Cord as Thug. The Enterprise must pass through the quadrant Corana 4, which is inhabited by the Gerati, an insect-like race that demands a precise greeting from the captain of any ship wishing to enter their territory. 
Taking a break from the difficult greeting preparations with the Gerardi, Captain Picard visits the holodeck and the world of Dixon Hill, a PI in 1941, San Francisco. We want the item. We don't have it. Shall I kill him? No. Kill the woman. Well, here's an episode that I remember so fondly. Um, and I think the episode is solid. Um, I think it holds up okay. Um, but this is one of those episodes I think that just establishes so much, if not just literally the world of, say, Dixon Hill, but the way they're going to use the holodeck. Yeah. Um, some of that for better uh, and some of it for worse. Like, uh, this is the first time they have that, you know, Something's gone wrong on the holodecks, and now we're all in danger. It's the first time they do that, so you sure as heck can't fault them here. But definitely, I think that they, um, I think that they definitely reuse that trope one too many times. Um, one of the reasons that DS Nine was very careful to not do that, they really didn't. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, this is the first time. I mean, they came up with this concept here. That's really good. Cool. They they do so much in this episode to define the holodeck and the way they're going to use it um, and what it's going to allow us to do. I remember just seeing this and just being excited, like, think of all the cool crap they're going to do on Star Trek now, you know? <laughs> um, so th- th- those are my first thoughts. What do, you, what do you guys think on this one? Well, yeah, I think it's a, um, a theme that we're going to see in, at least in um, next gen. It seems like they're always getting into trouble in the holodeck. I mean, this is, but it is. But you're right. This is kind of like the genre in the genre. This is the first holodeck episode, and that's kind of what makes it special. Um, you know, you know, you know, it's kind of kooky and you know, campy kind of episode to me. I thought, but I mean, it's still endearing because it's the first holodeck episode, and we're going to see tons of this forever I think in Star Trek. I think it also kind of hints hints just a little bit at the notions of the the sentience of uh, holodeck life, which, of course, Mm -hmm. is a theme that is built upon all over the course of modern Trek. Yeah, not just DS9, but uh, not just um, Next Gen, but certainly Voyager does that Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, Yeah, you know, it's fun... <clears throat> it, it's fun to see uh, Picard reacting. You know, he's like so excited. He's, he comes back after his first visit and he's describing how authentic everything about the holodeck was. Um, I mean, did you guys understand that that's what the holodeck was going to be? Because we, I mean, we saw a couple of glimpses. You know, we saw, well, we just saw it in Haven when they're just sitting around some rocks on some planet. We saw it uh, in Farpoint uh, with data at, at a stream, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, did you guys think this was the kind of thing they could do and would do with the holodeck? Well, it was definitely more impressive in Farpoint than it was. Um, what was the one where um, Tasha was demonstrating fighting techniques? It was kind of lame. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I'm glad they kind of got – I mean, they kind of waited waited a little bit long, to, I think, to kind of introduce it, look it back at it because, you know, I think – I think I do remember being really excited about the holodeck when I saw it in um, Farpoint. And, you know, you really didn't see much of it. And what episode, I don't know how many episodes we're in. Was this 10 or 11? So this is 10 or 11 weeks in at least. And then, um, you know, this feels like I'm close to the midway point of the season. But um, I was excited about it, um, the holodeck. And I remember people talking about it. It was one of the positives coming out of the show in the beginning, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't recall specifically what I thought you know, watching it the first time, you know, when it, but I, but I did, I have, I did always enjoy to some extent. I mean, yeah, they, they kind of overuse it at some point, but I remember in general enjoying the holodeck episodes just kind of as a diversion, something interesting. Um, where does Dixon Hill rank up there? You know, we got, you got Dixon Hill, you got uh, Data's Holmes. What was the name of that? The town, the Irishish town they went to on Voyager. I forget. Oh yeah, yeah. I I don't know if I heard it, but yeah. You know, you got Pre- Captain Proton on Voyager. You know, there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole list of of um, recurring um, pieces. You know, and and Dixon yeah. Hill. You know, it, it, I I always really liked it. I I like Dixon Hill. I like film noir. You know, I like those old detective shows and detective movies and detective stories. This one thing at the time, I read this multiple places, reported on this uh, TV guide. 
you know, in 1987, uh, knocked this episode, saying it was too similar to um, Piece of the Action from the original series. And that's absurd to me. Um, I don't see okay, the fine. Yeah, yeah no. not at all. Maybe, maybe they're referencing this some similar time period. That's, that's it. You know, yeah. this, this is an um, homage to film noir, and that's something the original series never did. Right. Because um, it was then, filmed at the time of film noir. <laughs> Well, most the biggest noir stuff was 40s, 50s. Yeah, I'm just um, joking. I'm just yeah. joking. Um, um, well, I think the thing about Dixon Hill, which you mentioned first, I think uh, Moriarty <clears throat> kind of um, overshadows Dixon, Dixon Hill, the whole Sherlock Holmes storyline mm-hmm. that we're going to see later on. Um, to me, that's those episodes stand out more than Dixon Hill. I don't think, do, I don't even recall seeing too much more of Dixon Hill until um, the movies, really, until what is. Um, yeah, first contact. First contact. First contact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get yeah, well, you know you see you see a little bit of it, but not like a full on episode Dixon Hill episode. Again, I don't think I could be wrong. Yeah, well, certainly that in the movie, the first contact that's the highest profile, but it's all, it's probably the highest profile um, holodeck thing we ever got. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and talking about the list of recurring holodeck places, of course, we have to mention Vix on DS Nine, mm-hmm. but um. Yeah, I just I just had fond memories of it, I guess, because I like I like noir so much. Um, and then that's another thing about this episode; they do a tremendous job in this episode with the sets and the costumes and things like that. This episode did get some award nominations for that sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that stuff is fantastic in this episode. Um, I mean, yeah, the cars, yeah, I mean, it really did look good. I agree with really you. excellent. Um, and I gotta say, Picard looks perfect in that outfit. He <laughs> mm-hmm. looks great. He's got the face for it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, here's another minor little thing. Just a small thing that I love. Like, Data in this episode, I think, is, is excellent, too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, his performance, his finest performance is Data. There's so many little things, like um, that, that moment when they say, you know, keep your nose clean. And just the way that, that Spiner you know, kind of messes with his nose or something, you know? Yeah. Like, what, what about my nose? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing that he does all the time, but he just does it so well and he sells it so well. But my favorite thing with Data in this episode is, you know, he's doing his silly accent or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, and then they have their emergency when, um, what's his name? N- name? I can't remember the guy's name. Um, Waylon, right. When Waylon gets shot and, you know, Data immediately drops his accent. He drops his funny walk, any of that stuff. Immediately, he's he's Data, and he's taking care of the situation. You know, I really it's a it's a little thing. It's a, probably an obvious thing, but I like that. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how he always is, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, any other thoughts here? What do you guys? What else? Is it just me, or was Riker a little bit rude to the? Um what is it the Jaraday? You know, yeah, it, he, this he, is, he he wasn't trying at all. I mean, yeah, he's <laughs> kind of like whatever. I think this whole, I mean, yeah, it comes off like this whole thing is absurd, and I'm not even playing their game. You know, is what it felt like. You know, the way they, they the way they set it up, like you know, like ooh, you, you can't, <laughs> you know. And then he was just like, I, I demand, you know, <laughs> just be nice to these people. He just he just uh, he doesn't like being told you're not the captain. We don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I guess he was still mad about Haven. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I personally, I think, I think uh, Picard made up that whole greeting at the end. I mean, it just sounded like he made it up as he went along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's an aspect to this. Maybe it's because we don't ever see those aliens, but I always forget about that part. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's secondary than the whole. Key, you know, core thing that what he's been working on and stuff too. I mean, and, and that's fine. The, the point, the point is the ambience of the holodeck and that fun little adventure, isn't it? You know, so the one thing I didn't, I didn't, you know, you were you mentioned like the the scene where they're in the ready room having the meeting. I thought his whole, you know, explanation of the holodeck was a little for Ricard for the character Ricard. I thought it was over the top. I don't think you ever really see Ricard get that excited about anything ever again. So um, <laughs> yeah. he felt very over the top for the, for his character. Well, that's another one of those early early show or early episode mistakes. Like Ricard walking off the holodeck with that lipstick on his uh, on his lip. Uh, that shouldn't have stayed on his lip, right? No, by right. Our, by current standards of what the holodeck is and how it works. Right. That's correct. Yeah, that should have vanished in the same way that Cyrus Redblock and leech or whatever vanished mm-hmm. yeah. this is a minor little thing but um eh. um 
but you know that's the kind of thing that we're gonna they're gonna are there any other i don't think there's any other holodex items in this first season i don't remember no big, no big uh, focus point. No, I don't think there's any you, focus. You do. Data does get we get Data's homes in the next season, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know the thing that the clunky thing in this episode for me is right near the end. Um, that whole bit where, uh, and I think you mentioned this uh, kind of a metaphysical discussion there with um with the cop. Um, I don't remember the character's name, but oh, the, yeah. the good cop there at the end realizing sure. he's like, oh, "Am I going to vanish? When you, are my my wife and kids still going to be there when I get when you walk off this this thing?" You know, that's an interesting discussion. Um, I like it. It kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere a little bit, and and this is not the kind of thing you're going to hear me say often. But there's something about like the chemistry between Picard, between Stewart and that actor that doesn't really work. Sure. And, you know, we know Stewart's a fine actor, so maybe it's just that the other guy isn't as good. Um, well, there's also not a whole lot of setup there to kind of have chemistry between. The, there wasn't enough time in the episode to have yeah. them interact too much, which is why it's some better kind of innate chemistry between the two of them, so that we didn't have to spend time selling them together. We would have just we would have bought that scene a little better if they just more naturally uh, played together. I think. Well, I think I, 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 don't, well, I don't think necessarily that's the actor's fault. I think it's kind of just the way it was written and put together. I mean, you know, for the, like I was saying, you know, for the most of the show, Ricard is just amazed at the, at the holodeck, you know, they're in there. They're like, Oh, this is so real. You know, they're not really taking it seriously. He never, he's just like amazed by the reality of the holodeck. So it doesn't seem like to me, he's even really trying to connect with the characters in a personal way. Yeah, I I just don't think they needed to go there in this episode. I don't think there was time to really dwell on the, that big of a question at this point, and so maybe it'd have just been best not to even have that conversation. Yeah, and, and this, it hurts right at the end of the episode because yeah. it kind of leaves you with that clunky. But they, I mean, with Moriarty, they really delve into it a lot more. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the entire episode is designed around that that question. Yeah. yeah, and I guess maybe you could call this a setup for that. that yeah. They, that they maybe they not the more already character specifically, but you know that they were going to return to this kind of what Steve was saying earlier in the conversation about sentient life in the holodeck. How to you know and you know they kind of they kind of oversold it there at the end. Yeah, maybe that's that. maybe it's partially a directing uh, fail because maybe if they just hadn't played it up so big, maybe if he'd really just been if Stewart if Picard had kind of been walking out and and the cop guy had just said. You know what's going to happen to me when you leave, or you know, if they'd not made yeah. such a deal, like make them walk up next to each other and made so much out of it, um, they were going to kiss. The- it was almost a romantic scene, you know, the light. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, we'll always have Paris. Right? <laughs> um, so you know, like I said, I have I have good memories of this episode, and um, I still enjoy it. Um, and uh, I don't think that's going to change. Oh, and it definitely looked awesome in HD. I'll say that one last time. Uh, but Data and Picard both look great in those in those uh, costumes. <laughs> Data looks so cool in that costume. <laughs> uh, yeah, it kind of kind of made me wish people still dressed like that, so I could yeah. have that attire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you guys want to add on this one? No. 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 All right, moving on. Six degrees for the big goodbye. Steve. <clears throat> yep. William Boyette plays police officer Dan Bell. Bell enjoys interrogating Dixon Hill, but lets him go when nothing sticks. Boyette returns to Next Gen as a different policeman in Next Gen's sixth season, this time in 19th century San Francisco, in the second of a two-parter featuring Mark Twain, Guinan, and Mr. Pickard. Name this two-parter. <laughs> okay, I believe that would be Time's Arrow. You are correct, Time's Arrow. Uh, Adam? Yes. David Selberg plays the historian Wayland that nearly dies after being shot in the holodeck while it is malfunctioning. In Next Gen's sixth season, he played Dr. Cyrus in the episode Frame of Mind. Cyrus is part of an elaborate alien construct to extract information from, from what member of the Enterprise's crew? Um... Riker? You are correct. It was Riker. All right. So what is that? Uh, three to one today. Adam won. Congratulations. Four to one. I think I got four. 
Mm-hmm. No, yes, sir. I so, yeah. yeah. I was for sure you were going to ask a question about the, the newsstand guy that was in DS9. I thought that's why I didn't ask it. That's also why I didn't ask um, uh, Haven. I didn't ask about uh, Armin Shimmerman as the uh, silver box guy. <laughs> what was funny uh, is that. Yeah. What was yeah. funny to me about the newsstand guy, you know, he was talking about baseball <laughs> with Picard and those guys, and that's what he does in DS9. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Yeah, and he was in the um, that the DS9 two parter. But I most remember him as Mr. Futterman in Gremlins. Um, and uh, I went and saw a screening of Gremlins years ago, and um, uh, Dante was there. To, you know, the director came out and talked to us for a little bit, and he said, "Oh, and so and so is in the audience with you." And the guy he was sitting uh, next to me, like like one person between, was between me and him, and he was huh. really kind of leaned forward. I'm like, "Oh my God, <laughs> Mr. Futterman!" So anyway. Oh, hey, real quick. I just want to ask Steve a quick question. So uh, pertaining to that. So did they set up the, was it the London Kings that was from DS9? Was that set up in this episode? I believe so. Yeah, that's the first and, addressing okay. that team's name, which, of course, the Buck Bokai character in DS9. Yeah, they, they almost mentioned him, the shortstop, and then they had to move on to something else. So I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting. I couldn't know. I didn't know if it was exact or not. Anyway, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's definitely the same. Yeah. <sighs> well. It was nice having that uh, extra week off uh, for the holidays and stuff. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us there. Um, our next episode, we're just going to be discussing three episodes like normal, and I'm excited because we got, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we had Data Lore and 1101001. Oh, yes. Probably my couple of favorite episodes from the first season, so I'm really excited about that. Um, following that, I was looking at the numbers. We might need to do an episode or two with four instead of three just so that we can finish the season out properly. Um, and without, you know, doing one or two in an episode, but we'll, we'll discuss that later for right now. Our next episode, we're just going to discuss three like normal. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek companion. Our Facebook fan page, listener page is uh, facebook.com slash Trek companion. You can send us an email, Trek companion at gmail.com. Um, of course you could leave us a review on iTunes. That's the coolest thing you could do for us. It's how people find us. Uh, so thanks again for listening and um, the episodes are getting better and better getting more fun to talk about so we will catch you guys in a couple weeks bye guys see ya bye